on this episode of Awkward Moments, not found in your average children's Bible. We read Genesis 6, 6 and 7. The Lord regretted ever creating human beings, and he was sad. So the Lord said, I will wipe all the human race off the face of the earth. While I'm at it, I'll kill the livestock and the crawling things too. I'll even kill all the birds in the sky. I wish I had never created any of them in the first place. Amen. Welcome back to another disastrous, frightful, crummy episode of the Burning Eden Podcast. I am Bath, your smooth, velvety, and sultry Satanist. And I'm Mel, the best co-host and favorite big to the human. So Mel, I couldn't help but notice your tits. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. your excitement. <laughs> excitement for uh-huh. this week's guest. Bath, we both know that's the main reason you wanted me as a co-host for this shitty podcast. <laughs> I guess we'll never know. <laughs> uh-huh, but you are correct, actually. I originally thought uh, we had peaked when we had Shannon Q on, and right. I was going to have to give you over to Satan in exchange for more awesome guests. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, never mind. But thankfully, I don't have to do that yet. <laughs> but maybe <sighs> after this episode, I will, though. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to have a little chat after this episode. So who do I have to thank for sparing me one more week? <laughs> Bitch, you better. (laughs) On today's episode, we have, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Seth Andrews. Holy shit. (laughs) Welcome, Seth. (laughs) I don't think I can outdo Shannon Q, but (laughs) it's good to be able to to hang out with you guys. Right? Thank you for joining us. She is amazing, but holy shit, thank you so much. Yes. You bet. Thank you. Yes. Hoping uh, you have a, you've had had a great day so far. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we're just, uh, you know, I'm working, I've been um, working on recording an audiobook. A third, I'm a third-party narrator for an audiobook that is oh, wow. uh, an atheist oh. book written by another guy. I don't want to get into what it is yet before yeah, we yeah. get into oh, promoting course. it, but uh, right. it's like, you know, 450 pages. So oh, I'm my about, gosh. I just did uh, 215 this morning, you know, so I'm, oh, I'm knocking, uh, just knocking it out as oh much gosh. as I can. So it's, I'm halfway, I didn't, I didn't record 200 pages this morning, but I, oh, I'm, oh, I'm oh, just oh, piecemealing it. Still though. That's no, no, no. Yeah. Really so anyway, I'm, I've been working on that and, uh, you know, the standard uh, weekly, you know, content for the site and shows and social yeah. media and blah, blah, blah. You know, <laughs> busy, it's busy all good. man. <laughs> I'm privileged to be able to do what I love. So. Yes. It's- yeah. You have an amazing voice, by the way. Holy yes, shit. yes. I just got to get it out of the way. Well, thank you. Thank you. I wish, I wish my voice was like that. You wish. So per tradition, we have the honored guest read us uh, the Bible verse of the day. Seth, what do you have for us Ooh. today? Well, uh, you know, I'm sure some people play it for, for laughs, but mm-hmm. the one that always comes to my mind is one I actually... Um, play kind of straight because it was um, one of the favorite verses of my evangelical youth. It was First Thessalonians 5.18. I'm doing it from memory, but it's in everything, give thanks for this is God's uh-huh. will for you in Christ Jesus. And, you know, I, I don't think we give thanks for everything, right? Not for everything, but I do like <laughs> the idea of living a grateful life. And, you know, I, I think especially in 
the rage porn of the Twitterverse, and we talk yes. about all the things that are <laughs> terrible in the world. I, I do like the idea of maintaining, whenever possible, uh, some introspection and attitude of gratitude. And I think it's an example mm-hmm. of, uh, yes. you know, we talk about the Bible being a terrible book, and so often it very much is. Mm-hmm. But the Bible also has some, I mean, it's, you know, it's almost like anything. You probably dig and find something in there that's that's good and kind and charitable. Yeah, I had I was talking to John Steingard uh, a few months ago, and he was saying, "Was it John? Uh, I think who said this, or maybe it was uh, Tony or Bart Campolo." He said, "I can make the Bible be whatever you want it to be. You want yeah. a love book? Okay, I'll find those verses. Would you right. like a hate book? No problem. I got that. You want it to be an acceptance book, a bigotry book? You want it to be a peace book or a war book? Uh, you know." Hey, you can, I mean, it's a schizophrenic book. You can go through and find right. pretty much anything you want. Right. You know? So, um, but that's the one that I carry uh, with me from my youth. Uh, it's the one I always think of. I used to carry this tiny red letter New Testament mm-hmm. with me, and it was mm-hmm. always in there circled. That's the one that comes <laughs> to mind. There you go. Hmm. Oh, Perfect. That's cool. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. And yes. thank God for that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> thank the Lord Jesus. <laughs> Um, so for the few people who don't know who you are, which shame on you, um, can you <laughs> give us a little background on your, your, your religious background and your road to atheism? Yeah, just uh, in a nutshell, I'm, I'm the product of a religious home, a fundamental Christianity in Bible oh, wow. Belt, Oklahoma, born and raised. My parents were theologian level believers, and Darn. I was raised in very much a Bible literalist culture, Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, Jesus died on the cross, a literal apocalypse, Jesus will come again, literal heaven and hell. And, uh, you know, Christian schools, I was a spokesperson for Youth for Christ, but because I was a communicator at a pretty early age, it was a natural segue for me to get into Christian broadcasting. I was a Christian radio host for a dozen years, and uh, then I became a video producer largely for churches. I produced fundraising videos and promotional videos for hundreds of churches all around the country. And uh, so I have a background in production and communications, but in my 30s, I found myself less and less satisfied with sort of this inherited faith. And I started to finally ask harder questions and, and, you know, carve my own path. You know, I went back to the Bible and I decided to start at Genesis 1-1, read it mm. as objectively as I could. And, mm-hmm. um, First mistake, and sir. First mistake. That, see? I began to engage apologists to try to figure out what oh. the quote unquote experts had to say. And, um, you know, at the end of that journey, I just realized that, um, it made no sense. Morally, historically, scientifically, it just it doesn't work. Right. And uh, at the age of 37, I finally just walked away, much to the chagrin of my family and, and community. Mm-hmm. I, I left, and because I was looking for community, I created one online. It uh-huh. is called The Thinking Atheist, which is not me. The Thinking Atheist is an icon. It's an idea that encourages the rejection of faith and the embrace Mm -hmm. of reason as we try to figure out what is true. And uh, so as a radio broadcaster, it was a natural segue to start podcasting in 2010. I've done 550 shows, still kicking. So anyway, that's just me in a nutshell. You know, I'm just this ex-believer who's trying to help others who might be on a journey of their own to encourage them that it's okay. You know, it's okay. Right, right. Was, was there one singular event that started to, you know, 
like turn your mind around towards leaving the your 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 religion or was just like compiled over over years there were probably two or three major events okay. and a thousand tiny ones yeah. but uh, yes. you know my best friend came out to me as gay back in the mm-hmm. mid 90s and i remember you know i was all freaked out you know he's going to go to hell and right. uh, you know, i have to judge him and all these things and i after a while, I realized how much I missed him and what a beautiful person he was. And I started then, I think, to ignore the anti-gay verses in the Bible. I think that may have been my first exercise in cherry picking. And then after that, it yes. was there was a death of a Christian artist named Rich Mullins. Terrible death that I went on oh. the air to try to... He was killed in a car wreck, so I'm on the radio saying that God called oh. him home. He's in a better place. And... Oof. um you know, and at that time, it just rang false. It just made no sense to me. You know, that right. we're we're making a happy ending to a terrible story. This doesn't make any sense at all. Nine eleven was so big for me. Mm, uh, yes. Really rattled my cage, so to right. speak. And uh, so those three events, and just a just a bunch of small ones. Probably a lot of it had to do with uh, traveling coast to coast to serve these churches and seeing. All of the different denominations, variations within same do- denominations, yes. seeing the, uh, you know, the fact that, um, you know, they all were arguing with each other. There was a ton of hypocrisy. There was there were just people who didn't even know why they believed. They just believed good people, but they hadn't done any real mm-hmm. examination of themselves. I, you know, I interviewed people who. Um, you know, had uh, almost, they were in wheelchairs with almost no ability to do anything. And they're thanking God that it wasn't much worse or that one day they'll have a better body, you know? And I'm just thinking, God, you know, God has the power to come and make you whole. And what he's just trying to teach you a lesson is something these sense, you know, just a bunch of stuff like that, literally a thousand tiny cuts. And uh, I think also some of it has to do maybe with getting older middle mm-hmm. age, you know, you, you become less and less interested in keeping other people comfortable. You become more right. and more mm-hmm. apt to just speak yes. your mind, you know, screw it. I'm just going to say what I'm thinking. And if you don't like it, fine. I think you probably do more of that as you get older, you know, so yes. a lot of that kind of stuff played into it. Yeah. And um, you're, you're speaking about uh, detaching from religion, like the actual religious structure itself. But what about the concept of God itself? Was that something that was difficult for you to disengage with or not really i you know i probably i mean i looked into deism you know there's Uh a um some sort of a master designer watchmaker intelligence other out there Mm -hmm. and you know i i had already gone through this dismantling of the idea of an omnibenevolent, or even a benevolent God, uh, right. given the world that we live in. And, and uh, you know, I don't see any evidence for it. But beyond that, if it, there is some sort of a prime mover that's totally uninterested now in the everyday, you know, it's it's a nameless, exactly. faceless thing. You know, that's, you know, even if that being existed, he's not interested or it's not interested in me. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> exactly. you know thanks for nothing. And um, so right. I... I I entertained it for a few, but I I didn't really uh-huh. I didn't give it much weight or credence, you know. Right, and I like what you mentioned: inherited faith. Uh, that is definitely something that a lot of people 
I mean, they grow up in this religion. They grow up in this belief that is spoon fed to them as children. And they don't realize that that in reality is the, the very source of their belief. It's just something that they grew up with that they were, you know, indoctrinated into uh, growing up. Yeah. Family and geography. I mean, right. the two major exactly. determining factors. If I was born in Mexico, likely I'd be Catholic. If I was born in China, probably some yeah. Eastern religion and Islamist nation, I'd be Muslim. And you can split yep. it up even in two denominations in the Christian faith. You know, if I'm from mm -hmm. the deep South, Baptist, Pentecostal, if I'm from the North, it could be Lutheran or Methodist or maybe Catholic. You know, you can, you can definitely see the trends of people mm -hmm. echoing their particular value system and belief system into uh -huh. the minds of their children and their children and so on. Exactly. Yep. A lot of people fail to see that. Like they don't, they don't put themselves in other people's shoes. Like, you know what, what if I was born in Iraq or in Iran or one of those Middle Eastern countries, I would not be Christian. And they're yep. thinking like somehow trying to make sense of it, that they would fight Jesus anyway. It's like, no, no, <laughs> that's not how it works. You have to be exposed to it, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. That's true. Yep. Very true. So Seth, uh, how was your experience as a Christian radio host? Well, I was raised with a love of Christian music back then, you know, it was, mm. you know, they made the albums for about a, buck and a half and mm. so there was kind of a david and goliath attitude about christian music and we knew the quality wasn't great we knew that a lot of it was ripping off what was already popular in the culture you know we were always going to be the b team or the d team but there was something kind of charming about that you know mm. the fact that hey there's a there's christian contemporary music there's christian rock out there we're rocking for jesus you right. know? and, and I, mean, I was that guy you know I'd, yeah, I'd, yeah. Uh, I'd camp out in, you know, the middle of winter to get concert tickets to oh go see goodness. Petra. And, you know, I was that guy who, who knew all the songs on the radio. And so it was, um, and I took a lot of pride in it. I probably drove people crazy. I, you know, when I was in high school, we'd, we had open campus for lunch. And so mm -hmm. we'd pack everybody in the car and, and I would put in knowing that the, many of my friends were listening to quote unquote devil music. I would, uh, oh no, I would Slayer. Uh, put uh, Christian music in the tape deck, and I would you know try to. It was kind of my way of just saying, aha, you know, this is the real thing. This is uh, mm -hmm. this yep. is legitimate. And I probably just drove them crazy. I was probably that guy, you know. And uh, it, it made a lot of sense for me as a communicator to segue into Christian music, because I had already had a love, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Michael W. Smith, Petra, mm. Whiteheart, uh, Striper, that kind of stuff, you know? And, um, and, uh, so it, it was the genre that I loved. I took it very personally. And as Christian music really began to explode in popularity by the mid nineties, it was the single fastest growing radio format in the United States. And the reason oh, wow. was this was sort of, uh, on the, uh, end of the satanic panic as people were wigging out about mm. warning labels on albums yeah. and sexual content and radio and and they were looking for a quote unquote family safe alternative and christian music was sort of waiting it was lightning in a bottle for the industry uh, so yeah all these major record labels came in you know you got emi and columbia and sony etc and they come in and they they just scooped up. They bought up all these tiny boutique Christian labels like 
mm. word music and myrrh and sparrow records, etc. And all of a sudden, we saw Christian music was a lot slicker and uh, more polished. They had bigger concerts, bigger budgets, uh, more airbrushing, certainly. You know, they were just more of a mainstream kind of thing. And we saw Christian music, Christian radio also strategically target people uh, who may even not have normally given Christian music a chance, but would be interested in family-oriented content. So mm -hmm. it was no longer, mm -hmm. you know, we're excited over Jesus radio or God radio or whatever, but we saw in the industry positive hits. We are positive. We are family-safe yeah. music, yeah. music for the whole family. This was right. a strategic marketing campaign, yeah. and it worked. I mean, we <laughs> saw people who... Uh, you know, who normally weren't even church churchgoers who sometimes would just, they would listen in because they felt like it was, um, you know, something they could listen to with their kids without having to worry. And the popularity of Christian music and Christian media in general continues today. I left the uh, industry in 2002, but mm -hmm. you know, it's still a, it's still a, a major piece of the music industry pie, so to speak. And I got a chance to meet some people, hmm. you know, I mean, uh, it's kind of cool. I always liked Michael W. Smith. Got a chance to go hang out backstage with him Sweet. and interview him on the radio several times. Amy Grant, she was just a, a wonderful person. She was so kind and, and funny and generous. And, mm -hmm. and you know, there's this uh, tendency we have, I think, to talk about religious people, especially those in a religious industry as, you know, terrible or dumb or all bigots or whatnot. I just get tired of that. You know, I, mm. I know... Yes. Uh, my life now is populated largely, mostly with, at least in my inner circle here, with religious people. We disagree on some fundamental things, mm -hmm. but there are also people who, you know, if your car was broken on the side of the road, they're pulling over to help. If you needed something in a time of need, they would be there. They're, they're right, right there with an encouraging word and kindness and goodness. There are real problems in the theology and and I think they compartmentalize some pretty bad decisions. Definitely. But I'm sure tired of us putting everybody in a box. I'm married to a God believer. She's not a, oh. a, a she's not a um, a fundamentalist. You know, she's really more of a deist. But she's like one of the best people I know. And yeah. uh, that's another part of probably yeah. That's another part of my activism to try to humanize things so that we can engage cultures across these borders, these tribal borders to see each other in three dimensions. Just like I used to see atheists as all one thing and I was totally wrong about yeah. that. I think atheists often can see religious people as one thing and they're often totally wrong. So. Right. Hmm. I like that perspective. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, so in, in your opinion, uh, is religion bad as, as a whole? Well, I think we have to define religion. There are some secular religions. I know the Satanic Temple is one, mm -hmm. and some yes. others. Yes. And you know the structure of religion. I used to, I used to be a little more averse to the idea of a religion, but you know, if you were to look at, if you were to pull out all of the the superstitious aspects of it, and you just had structure. I think ritual is important. I just did an interview with Sasha Sagan, the daughter of the late cosmologist Carl, yes, Carl Sagan, and she has I this new book. I listened to that episode. That was she great. has this new book about the importance of ritual. I, we as human beings are attracted to rituals. You know, we like that kind of structure. 
So it's music and dress and you've got the, you know, these, these sort of uh, procedures and ceremonies. I think these can often be amazing frames for the human existence. And if you want to do a non-theistic religion to help frame that, I kind of have come to the point where I just don't, I don't have a problem with that. You know, I mean, whatever. Mm -hmm. But my problem with uh, religion speaks more to the religions that are imbued with magical thinking, often destructive magical thinking. There are uh, studies out that uh, have revealed that children who were taught to think magically in this way, religiously, when it comes to gods and monsters, uh, they are much less prepared for the real world as they get older. So they enter society, jobs, cultures, relationships, and they're often not as tethered as they should be. They don't have their feet planted on terra firma. They're, they're not as good at problem solving using, you know, um, evidence-based practices. They are magical thinkers in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think fundy religions, I am absolutely against. So often they use love language to mask the fact that they are fear cults or shame mm-hmm. cults or control cults. I think Christianity is probably my favorite example. Yep. You know, God loves you, love the world, love ye one another, love, 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 love. That's, but <laughs> sounds but. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it sounds amazing. And if I was to sit across the table from a, a devout Christian and I said, well, actually, Christianity is a fear cult. I mean, they would just mm-hmm. be aghast because when yeah. I was in the faith, I saw it as is love, security, acceptance for God so loved the world that he mm-hmm. he came and gave his life on the cross to save me. I am I'm a product of the ultimate act of love. And I hadn't yet stopped to really reverse engineer that. The idea yeah. that uh, a God who knows everything somehow came up with a plan that was destined to fail and required Mm -hmm. all of these sort of interventions, you know, the flood and mass genocide and human sacrifice, (laughs) blood magic, you know, and the idea that uh, God's the architect of hell, who sends me to hell? How do I get to hell? No, sir, you send yourself to hell. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I mean, you know, I didn't think of it that way. I, I, but now, of course, now that I'm outside the looking glass, looking the other way, you know, yeah. God essentially, his message is, I love you. Now love me back or burn me. Compulsory love. Right. You know, I will no. burn you. Yes. <laughs> and and he's uh, the one so, that made the whole thing. He, he fucked it up from the beginning. Unconditional uh, love he, with conditions. Yeah, yeah. But he, if he's so knowing, how did he not know the outcome? Or maybe he did. He knew he was going to mess up and drown everybody. Right. It's right. Just, I saw a meme that said, so why nonsense. would God intentionally create anyone that he knew would go to hell? And I think exactly. that's, yeah. Yeah. it remains yep. a really yeah. good question. So, I mean, forgive yeah, the meandering answer, but I, I feel like oh. religion that is tethered to superstition is inherently destructive. It's mm. a distraction uh-huh. from real world solutions. And quite often uh-huh. it brings the baggage of guilt and shame, original sin being probably the most uh, alarming example. You know, you're yeah. born broken, you're born unworthy. Yeah. And, you know, you see that in uh, reflected in religious art and, and music, you mm-hmm. know, as a great example. You are worthy, I am not worthy, not you but me, I live in you. Um, 
You know, we don't deserve this great gift from God, and yet he gave it anyway. Well, I mean, right. to be born and consider yourselves wretches, it's like the old rugged cross, he came to save a wretch like me. Why am I a wretch? Because I was born that way. Right. And um, nope. and that's yeah. a tragic way to live your life when you, you think, I, do, I don't have inherent worth, not right. really, or at least not yeah. worth unless I tether myself to this third party who gives me worth. I think that's a tragic way to live. So it's super abusive and sad. And we, we we see this every day on TikTok. There's young children. I like as young as like 10, you know, they're always younger than 10. Oh my God. It's pretty sad that they're so indoctrinated and brainwashed to the point that they don't feel that they're worth anything without this religion. They're too young to realize that they are, the religion is the one giving you the poison to begin with, as well as the antidote with the other hand. That is devastating. It's just sad. That, yeah. I mean, the church uh, tells you that you're sick and then sells you the cure. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, there, there, exactly. there's this one um, content creator who is who is Christian. He has 1.1 million followers um, that he literally tells these children that they are broken. They are nothing without uh-huh. Jesus and God. And, 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 and this is why I do what I do on TikTok. And I, I speak out against people like like this, this, this content creator, because it's, it's horrible what they're, what they're doing, you know, to, to these it's young a lot of minds. emotional manipulation yeah. as well. He's always crying. He's yeah. always, it's, the, it's all with, pulling at the heartstrings and, you know, yeah. with, the, with the sad music and, you know, it's, 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 it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sad to see really. Um, so being an atheist, um, act who, uh, who's also an activist, what is the best? Cause I'm, I, I consider myself a, a baby atheist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, how, what is the best way to be an activist as, as an atheist? Oh my goodness. That's a broad question. <laughs> First of all, my curiosity has to, uh, prompts me to ask, what did you come out of if you're a new atheist? I was a non-denominational Christian. So uh, essentially Pentecostal assembly yes. of God. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a high emotion culture too. It's a very a deep feeling kind of a culture. Uh, um, a lot of um, emotive music and, you know, there's uh, a, a lot of sensory stimuli mm. in the non-denominational yeah. church or Christian experience. And, and uh, there's also a, when you're in that tribe, a deep, feeling of connection and family, I'm sure it wasn't an easy exit out for you, you know? No. And so, um, uh, as far as activism, I have, I mean, I get people who are always saying, I want to, you know, I, I want to be an activist. So I need a channel Mm. or, um, I want to be an activist. So I need to be on stage and maybe, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't know, but I have met a lot of people who, say that they want to start a podcast and communicating is not their gift. You know, it's just not right. what they're good at. Yeah. Um, I've got a lot of people who they already know that they're not good at this. This is not their gift. So they're thinking, what can I do? And I usually give them two pieces of advice. One is play to your gifts. You know, it's like Shelly Siegel. She's a musician. Mm-hmm. And so her thing is to write and perform songs that speak to the culture. And she's making a difference, inspiring a lot of people. I've seen people who are using art and other people are writers. You know, they can go through and 
and write, or maybe they're self-publishing a book or they've got, uh, you know, whatever it is that you're good at. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where you start. And the second piece of advice I usually give people is to try to start where you are. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, you don't have to have a million followers on social media to qualify as an activist. It's, you know, it's not necessarily the biggest net. You know, I think, where are you? The conversations that you have with people in your own life who might have doubts or questions or going through issues or maybe challenging theocrats in your circle, that's activism. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, if yes. somebody on at your office sees you've got a, a mug that says humanist on it and they want to know, well, what's a humanist? And you start to talk about humanism. Well, that's mm-hmm. activism. I mean, you are in your own circle, beginning with, you know, your, your own um, uh, spheres of influence, you are impacting the culture. So, you know, play to your gifts and then start where you are. And I really think that if it is impactful in a way that will and should ripple out to hundreds and perhaps thousands of people, I think that should happen organically. I don't think you try to force it. You know, right. I had a leg up. I, I got lucky. You know, I came into this with with <laughs> decades of broadcasting experience at a time when the movement was relatively new, at least online. And so, you know, I it would be a little harder for me today because there are 400 squillion podcasts and channels and <laughs> right, blogs right. and everything else. Yeah, you know? right. I, I'm not stupid. I mean, I'm, I know I'm pretty good at what I do, but I also realized that I, starting in 2010, was a little bit easier for me than starting in 2021 because there simply mm-hmm. wasn't this overwhelming amount of content that there is today. I think it's a good thing, all yes. these voices out there, right. but it does make you harder to be seen, I think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, our podcast. <laughs> we're, I mean, we're, well, we've only we started in November. We started yeah. in November um, yeah. of last year, and this is our episode thirty-two, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. you find what you're good at, you find what you love, you play to your gifts, and you do that, and you you know you see where the road takes you. And I think are we good at this, totally Mel? <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not good. It's fine. <laughs> Um, so do you have any advice for people on the fence about being an atheist? Well, the first thing I I like to do is to encourage them not to be afraid of the word. Okay. And I'm not, I don't get hung up on terms. You know, you're atheist, agnostic, doubter, you're on a journey, seeker, ah, whatever, you know. Um, I'm more interested in giving yourself permission to ask the questions. I usually talk to believers and I I don't spend a lot of time with those who are what we call doxastically closed, meaning that they're not listening, right? They're totally uninterested in changing their minds. They're totally incurious. I don't spend much time with those people. I, I, I found those conversations usually only result in frustration. I only engage in that way if there are other people watching from the position of spectators who might benefit from the exchange. Maybe they're waiting to see, well, who's got the best position and, and are there really problems with some of this, you know, theology and, and what's another perspective, you know, I'll engage in that way, but the one-on-one I don't spend any time with the dogmatic 
Because they're not interested in anything other than reinforcement, and often those exactly. conversations cause they're them not to open to change, and they're, they're not seeing down. any change in the in, in the near future at all. They, they just don't want to do any change at all. But for everybody else, I like to ask the question: If it wasn't true, would you really want to know? And mm. I think on the surface, everybody says, "Well, yeah, but right." They automatically throw <laughs> right. the caveat at the end. Yeah, yeah, but I know it's true. But I, you know, I, I asked the question again, if, if it wasn't true, would you want to know how bad would you want to know? And, uh, I, you know, when I'm speaking to people, I use the word I a lot instead of you're wrong or you've got some bad ideas or your data is not accurate. You know, and this is language that puts people back on their heels and causes them to double down. Instead, I say, I looked at the Bible and I found real problems in it. I had concerns about things like slavery and the treatment of women and mass genocide and child sacrifice and blood magic, etc. I began to delve into conversations about what is evolution? What does the cosmos really look like? What does the evidence say? And I was amazed. I'm using the word I. And that uh, keeps, Mm -hmm. in many cases, other people from feeling like they are attacked that I'm coming yeah. after them. Right, right. Scientists discovered that people protect ideas like they protect their physical body, ideas oh. specifically that are related to identity. So if you have a deep-seated belief in a God or a, a something that you genuinely hold to your core, and I come after that, the same part of the brain, the amygdala, fires up as if I was threatening you physically. Yes. It's a defense mechanism. It's something that all humans do. Atheists are not immune from this. The best we can do is be aware that it happens mm-hmm. to try to get around it, you know. But, uh, you know, in my conversations, I, I try to humanize it. At first, I keep the conversation short. You know, I don't try to go, you know, Rome was not built in a day. Right. And if there's someone watching or listening or whatever, that is saying, well, what is this non-belief in God? What is this atheism? I usually say that in my own life, I once felt like nothing would ever. I, I, if you had gone back 15, 18 years and told me that I would one day come to reject it all and be an atheist activist, I would have absolutely said, you are crazy. It's totally impossible. It will <laughs> yeah. never happen. Right. Yep. I mean, I was that much of a believer. If, if I wasn't a true believer, nobody was. But once you get out of the matrix, once you start to see it, you know, you don't go back. You, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. And here's mm-hmm. the most interesting part. I don't want to. I, I, my life, it's weird. Now that I don't feel like I'm going to live forever and I'm the adopted child of a divine king and I'm going to get a, an eternal life with mansions and streets of gold and the family <laughs> dog and all those things someday. Yep. Now that I'm not on a a quest, (laughs) you know, I'm not on a divine quest for God to go and do all these things. Now that I realize the universe doesn't really care if I exist and that I can assign my own sense of purpose, it remains a privilege to be alive. And the fact that I don't believe in eternity actually makes these moments even more critical. You know, seize the day. Don't waste it, man. I I just, I'm better. I'm more comfortable in my own skin. I don't feel like mm-hmm. I'm excusing stuff that doesn't make sense. I, I want to live in a world that makes sense. And I've also given myself permission when I don't have an answer to a question. Before the blank is there, I just scribble God. Well, God, you know. 
-hmm. Now I've given myself permission to give the more honest answer. And that answer is, I don't know. I'd like Mm -hmm. to know someday. I think let's pursue knowledge. But until then, I'm not going to cheat. I'm just going to tell you, I don't know. And beyond all of that, any worthy God who looked down and saw somebody like me who was genuinely trying to live honestly and genuinely trying to ask the right questions and genuinely following the evidence wherever it leaves because you want to find the truth, whatever that is, a worthy God would reward that. A worthy God would say, hey, you know what? You're my people. A worthy God would never condemn that person, especially to a pit of eternal fire. And that's mm-hmm. my encouragement I give to people. You know, you, you can you can make these judgments and you can ask these questions with the assurance that a worthy God would not punish you for wanting it to all make sense. Right. God creates us with a curious brain. If we use that curiosity, it should be okay with that God. Exactly. Especially if free will is a thing and he gives you free will. <laughs> you should be able to use your free will to explore what is logical, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Whatever that leads you to. <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm curious. You did mention that you your wife is a believer in God or at least has a concept of God that she, you know, accepts. How does that work in your dynamic, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, it's, you know, we've had our share of conversations. I mean, we oh. drive each other a little crazy. Um, she, you know, she calls herself a Christian because that's what she comes out of, but she's Mm. sort of like something's out there, you know, which is really more of a deistic position. Uh, she doesn't like, you know, like I'm, I'm a, I like to go in and get in the thick of it and just hash it out kind of thing. And she's not that way. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't like to get into the debate arena or to, Mm. uh, uh, right. You know, vet these ideas in these strenuous ways. She doesn't, she's not fed by that like I am. She's not stimulated by that. You know, she doesn't enjoy what I call positive conflict. I don't mean conflict for its own sake, but, you know, let's go in and let's, man, let's stimulate the, the brain. You know, you just throw the ideas going. together yeah, in the yeah, ropes exactly. and let them duke it out kind of deal, you uh-huh. know. Right. But, you know, she's, she'll talk sometimes about, uh, you know, Maybe her long past grandfather looked in on her kind of thing and she gets comfort uh-huh. from that. Uh, you know, she, I think she sees um, some fine tuning. Uh, we've had that conversation because, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, okay, great. Um, but for all of this stuff that looks intelligently designed, there's an awful lot of terrible design yes. out there, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, yeah, the, the thing is, is that she is, and she doesn't go to church. She doesn't read the Bible. She doesn't pray mm-hmm. before meals. She essentially lives a secular life. And she just, I think she mm-hmm. kind of holds to this. Well, there's probably, I'll, I think there's probably, a, we go on in some way after we die. And maybe I'll see my granddad again, kind of a faith. And that, mm-hmm. I'm not threatened by that. It doesn't bother me. Right. I mean, we can have conversations in the abstract about whether or not there's any reason to believe it. But my my fight's not with the deists. My fight's not with the, well, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual types, as long as they're not going out and harming people with mm-hmm. bad ideas, religious propaganda, et cetera. I mean, Natalie, she's a humanist. She's pro-LGBT rights. She's pro-vaccine. Cool. Blah, blah, awesome. blah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. my fight's with the theocrats. My fight's with the fundamentalists who are going yes, out yes. there scaring children with hell, trying to right. stack the courts, influence laws, take uh. over the culture. 
That's exactly. where my fight is. You know, so we've had our long discussions. We've had our times when you know we've been in the valley and thought, God, are we really all that compatible? And then an hour later, we're having Mexican food and doing <laughs> nice. great. You know, there you so. go. awesome. <laughs> so I mean, it's you know, I think any relationship's a challenge. You put complex people in the same space, but yes. she's really one of the best people I know. And her belief in a God, whatever that may be, doesn't diminish that at all. Awesome. Yeah. How long have you been married? Uh, we got married in two, 2014. So it's been seven okay. years this August. And then we, you know, awesome. we've been together longer than that. So yeah. congrats. Yeah, congrats. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to your podcast not too long ago and I heard that episode. I forget the, who the lady was, but it had to do with the separation of church and state. And you were talking about Christian nationalism mm -hmm. and right wing conservatism and all that. Yeah, that and was uh, just, Rachel Lazar of yes, the of yes. Americans United for the separation of church and state. Yes. What a great episode, I got to say. You. And that's definitely something that bothers me as well. It's like the people say, you know, it doesn't, Christianity doesn't do anything. However, yes, it does. You know, when you start to dictate laws that affect other people, that's when I have an issue with it. That's when you're trying to turn it into a theocracy, you know? And Absolutely. Think, well, yeah. I'll tell you what's frustrating beyond, beyond the power grab. You know, the consolidation of power, the protection of power by one religious group, which allows them to mm -hmm. make everybody else second-class citizens. What really drives right. me crazy is this crazy, bogus persecution narrative. <laughs> We're being persecuted. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Hang on. Hold nope. on. Just a second. Hang on. All right. So you can hold a personal faith. You can go to church pretty much any time, uh -huh. any day, anywhere. You can have church in your house or you can have a mm -hmm. church building. Uh, there's a Bible in almost every hotel room. You've yep. got Christian broadcasting, radio, TV, Christian retail. You can wear Christian jewelry and t-shirts. You can celebrate Christian holidays. You can mm -hmm. evangelize. I mean, your whole life is an example of Christian privilege. And somehow you expect me to believe that you are under attack. And <laughs> I think there are a few reasons they do this. One, I think... It's a way of shutting down the messenger, any challenge, right? You just mm -hmm. cry persecution. And I also think that in the Bible, it says the best believers are those who are persecuted for the sake of Jesus. You know, blessed oh are you God. who are persecuted yeah. for my sake. Well, what do you do when you live in one of the most religiously liberated and free nations on the planet? <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. And you're supposed to be a good Christian. Where do you find persecution? Well, if you don't have it, I guess we should manufacture it. So It's a kink. It's a kink they have. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling yeah, you. We're under attack kind of thing. And, and that makes me crazy. I'm like, you got to be kidding. You have no idea what it's like to be a marginalized group in this country if uh -huh. you are a Christian nationalist. And now that they see the demographics at the grassroots are changing, you know, non-religious people, the nuns are hugely growing. The 30 and under crowd totally disconnecting from the church. Yes. We're finally starting yes. to see secular yep. people in local, state, and national politics. The writing is on the wall. The fabric of this nation is becoming more and more secular. Hence, yes. the freak out and the stacking of the courts and the losing of their minds. Mm, you know, they, yes. they realize that uh, their, their days as uh, cultural and demographic minority are pretty much written in stone. Exactly. And you mentioned power and definitely um, when a, 
a culture or a group of people are so used to being the ones in control, the moment that that power starts to be taken away from them, it starts feeling like persecution as well. And it's so uncomfortable for them. Yes. It is so uncomfortable. When I was in Christian radio, we played this song yeah. uh, by a guy named Morgan Cryer. He essentially had one hit. It was called Pray in the USA, okay? <gasps> and oh, no. The, yeah. the yep. song talked about this impending future where the seculars make prayer to God illegal. Okay. It's mm. against the oh law. Oh my God. And so as he's, sh- and it's an anthem, you hear all these voices behind him singing, you can still pray in the USA. And there's a line in the song where he says one day that you may hear it, that praying is a felony. I guess oh. they'll call us criminals. And I guess oh, that's what I'll be. So oh, we embrace oh. this. <laughs> We embrace this idea that, oh man, at any time they're going to come in and they're going to just make prayer illegal. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. we, now we're really persecuted, right? Now we're really David versus Goliath. Mm -hmm. Now we're really going to buck the man, buck the system on behalf of almighty God. Of course, that's total crap. You know, it's the same narrative (laughs) that says that uh, they want to take prayer out of schools. Tell me that an individual Mm -hmm. student can't privately pray at any time. Right. The problem wasn't that people were praying when they were in school. The problem was school mandated prayers, school sponsored Mm, prayers. Yeah. But we had conflated the two and apparently embraced the idea that unless the teacher organizes that moment before class, that you can't personally talk to God. You know, it's just crazy. (laughs) The whole Uh thing falls apart upon any scrutiny. Yep, 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 yep. And we still, do they still do the Pledge of Allegiance? I haven't been in public school in a long, long time, but do they still uh, do that? I don't know. I, I think, I th- probably, certainly in Florida, I'm sure they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in Florida. <laughs> I hate my state so much. <laughs> oh, man. Fucking Florida, bro. I, I, I must be. I must have a hidden comedic talent. To, uh, <laughs> get that. Oh man. Um. So, off topic, sort of. I love your dog Linus. Oh. Same. He's so cute. <laughs> I just, just want to steal you. him. <laughs> yeah, um, Linus. Uh, he came along uh, at a very good time for us. Um, oh, we'd lost so a couple of dogs a couple of years ago. We lost oh. one on the operating table. Total surprise. Oh, no. And we were just Aww. devastated when, when Henry died. And we were pissed because we felt like it was negligence on the behalf Ugh, of, of the guy shit. doing the... Uh, and so we were Sorry. just uh, horrified. And then our other dog, Yorkie Tootsie, um, she died of a stroke two weeks later. And we got a call Ugh. from my friend up at uh, the Humane Society. She's director of the Humane Society. And she mm-hmm. said, I have your next dog. <gasps> and I'm like... We're not ready. We're not ready. We can't. We can't. We were just hearts, yeah. you know. Yeah. And she's like, fine. That's fine. Uh, whenever you are ready, I have your dog. Like she knew us better than we knew ourselves. Like, right. Oh, right. Wow. That's awesome. And so then we um, we said, oh, okay. After a few days, we said, all right, well, we'll just come mm-hmm. and see him. Right. First then, uh, yeah. <laughs> then we went back, I think, uh, oh. a few days later and said, we'll just keep him for a night <laughs> and, um, years later <laughs> and he made it impossible not to fall in love with him he's a little oh. six pound multi-poo who oh, yeah. is oh. the greatest little dog 
And then we rescued a Shih Tzu named Gracie last Gracie. fall. And oh. Linus and Gracie become pals. You know, oh, they they so hang out together and they cute. cuddle together and they play together. And it just oh. brings us so much joy. But thank you for the kind words. Yeah, I've got, they actually have their own webpage, Linus and Gracie. You can go to <laughs> sethandrews.com. <laughs> And I've got a whole page of uh, oh. photos and videos of just the dogs. <laughs> I know what I'm doing the rest of the day. <laughs> no, it's really sweet. Really sweet. SethAndrews.com. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Slash what? Uh, just go to the go to SethAndrews.com. You'll see a tab, Linus and Gracie. So. Yeah. Oh, this is um, beautiful. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you're a fan of Evil Dead, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I um. It's weird for somebody who came out of fundamentalist Christianity because I've always been a horror movie fan, too. Me, too. me, too. So, yeah, I saw the original Evil Dead on video back in the early 80s. Scared the crap out of me. Yes. I mean, I was just freaked out. Now I'm sure it looks quaint. But 40 right. years ago. Right, right. 40 years ago, it was, it, that was one of the most intense things that had ever been released to yeah. uh, theaters or video. And I, uh -huh. I instantly became a fan of the uh, trilogy. Yes. Uh, Evil Dead 1, 2, and then... Um, Army of Darkness, which was almost named the Medieval Dead, which I, I think that would have been a great name. For I year. think so, too. I actually have Ash uh, tattooed on my calf from the boomstick pose from Army of Darkness. I'm a That's huge, amazing. huge fan. I met Bruce Campbell <laughs> once and I fangirled over him. Oh, I love him so much. But yeah. yeah, like I love that series so much. I've been asked, who would you like to play you in the movie? And it was either Bruce Campbell or Kate Blanchett, because she can do anything. Kate oh, Blanchett. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's funny. I I've um, I do a, an annual ghost stories broadcast. I've published an audio book of ghost stories with 14 mm. uh, individual highly produced nice. ghost stories. It's, it's kind of a playground for the brain. Some people, yeah. uh, well, at least at first, used to think, well, why in the world is an atheist activist why do you like ghosts and I like haunting so much. spirits, you know? Right, right. And I just think that, I mean, I, I don't tell them that's a stupid question, yeah. but it's a stupid <laughs> question, right? Yeah. Like, why do I like Lord of the Rings if I don't believe in, in Mordor? And, you know, why do I like Harry Potter if I don't believe in Lord Voldemort? I mean, we are creatures of imagination. Exactly. Correct. And this idea that, you can't have a playground of the mind for superfluous and fun and imaginative things like that in a world mm -hmm. of fantasy and fiction. I mean, that's just stupid. It is. And, it really uh, is. you know, most people have got it. But when I first started doing ghost stories, I think some people raised an eyebrow. And now it's become <laughs> one of the most popular things we do. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I really, really, really want to believe in ghosts. But knowing because I, you know, atheist, obviously, but like I want to I want it explained like in a non-spiritual kind of way like i want it to be like some sort of parallel universe or something like that that they they bleed through our universe and you know yeah. more scientific obviously but i like i, I really want to believe in ghosts so bad <laughs> it becomes i think more of a challenge too um when you are at a horror film because now yes. it it's harder to scare me with that type of stuff the exorcist mm. when i first saw it I genuinely, at the time, believed in demon possessions, right, and right. it added another layer of terror because I thought, you know, am I opening some door by even watching this film? You know, this is so satanic. And now I look at it, and it's more of a forensic exercise. I'm more looking at it in terms of, oh, wow, I remember what scared me. Right. But there are, you know, that makes me really admire the ghost stories 
that still get under my skin. I yes, recently yeah. uh, saw one. We rented one called The Vigil, and it was about Vigil. an Orthodox oh. Jewish tradition where after someone passes away as part of this rite of passage into the next life, somebody has to sit up with them all night as the body is oh, in a living room yes. of a house. I watched Ooh. it. It was creepy as fuck, honestly. Really creepy. Oh, I really watch creepy. Oh, yes. And, I love and that's a great show. example. You know, yeah. you suspend disbelief and you crank yeah. up the imagination. Yeah. And Shut if the they're good off. enough storytellers, yeah. you you will go there. You know, A yes. lot of it is in Yiddish as well, right? Part of the dialogue yeah. in Yiddish. So it was a very cool film. I watched it at my friend's house and I was like, oh my God, this was actually kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty it fucking amazing. good yeah fuck yeah. yeah yeah there's some gems. question 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 you strike me as a rocker metal head do you listen to metal by any chance? no oh. Oh, never mind <laughs> never mind way to be wrong but <laughs> oh damn it no i i am okay. devil music I am not that guy you know when i'm driving in the car i'm usually listening to audiobooks. Um, oh, okay. If I listen to music, I'll I will crank up some eighties rock, Journey, Kansas nice. Sticks. Oh, okay, eighties rock. Um, yeah, totally. But I don't. You know, it. it I, I like emotive music. A lot of times, soundtrack, especially if I'm looking for, um, uh, I don't know, mood music to to spur something in the imagination for mm -hmm. purposes of storytelling. Then it will be like okay. a soundtrack, like James Newton's Howard's "The Village" is beautiful, and you know mm, these things where yes. you, you know, you're driving down the road late at night and you've got this thing playing, and sometimes it, it actually sparks some, some sort of a storytelling thing in you that gives you inspiration to go and produce the next thing. Right. But as far as the hard stuff, now, nah. I mean, I don't do concerts. <laughs> I'm, I'm not that gotcha. guy. I'm extremely personally very conservative. So, yeah. Not oh, politically, yeah. but personally, very. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, you you have a new book about uh, being uh, what's it called? Fox News uh, Christian, conservative yeah. Christian, yes. yeah, yeah, and yeah. now becoming the opposite ish, right? <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, some people are like, well, "What does atheism have to do with politics?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm it, well." It, it relates to the fact that I am now a humanist. Because I don't believe that Jesus is going to come and mop up, right? If we're going to solve problems, dropping to your knees and saying, please feed the poor and alleviate mm -hmm. the suffering and cure cancer, we don't hold to that. It's just a waste mm -hmm. of time. We have to solve each other's problems. Yes. And right. then, you know, as a byproduct of that, if you then believe that we shouldn't be condemning or judging or second-classing people of other faiths or LGBT people or mm -hmm. whatever, if you genuinely believe that societies have a responsibility to be there for the disadvantaged and the suffering, if you begin to hold to those things outside of a religious model, I think it's a natural progression to begin to get into, you know, I think it, it speaks to a political worldview Yes, and uh, you know, I've taken a little bit of heat from some people who were like, well, why do you talk politics? And I'm like, well, look, I'm not the one who injected religiosity into politics. It's, right. mm -hmm. This is a lot done by the evangelicals. They've infected the whole thing. And I think the rest of us have to respond. We're a counterforce. And uh, so I came out of uh, that to Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck, and Coulter mm -hmm. Fox, this conservative thing that I used to yeah. believe and think. And now I've 
you know, without religion, had to go back and say, well, now that I don't hold to all this, what do I think about the role of government? What do I think about healthcare? What do I think about right to die issues and the death penalty and the legalization of drugs and the right to choose, et cetera? And then without religion getting in the way, I found myself sort of on the other side. You know, I, I found right? myself at least having a more nuanced point of view. <laughs> and uh, so I wrote a book about uh, the Fox News culture, which is, I consider, a propaganda wing of mm. the evangelical oh, yeah. party. And sort of where it came from, what it was like being in the culture, and then an analysis of the culture from outside of it. And that book came out in the uh, fall of last year. So. Mm. Awesome. I can't wait to read it. I yes. want to check it out for sure. Definitely. Well, it's been <sighs> awesome talking to you. Yes. Holy shit. Thank we you are for joining very, us very today. <laughs> fortunate to have you here. We appreciate your time. I know you're a busy okay. guy. Very busy. <laughs> no, you're very kind to ask. I hope you got what you, uh, you know, what you came for as far as the conversation, <laughs> discussion, discourse, all that stuff. Mostly I just, yeah. you know, I think we're all doing what we can where we can. I know that's sure. uh, true for you as well. You know, you go yes. out there and you try to lend your voice to, to uh, solving problems and to encouraging other people, you know, to try to build the better world that we wish to see. And so thank you mm -hmm. guys for your work. And thanks for we the invite. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, where, where can we find you? The website, thethinkingatheist.com, has links to the podcasts and all of the video content that I've produced since 2009. Awesome. And if you want to know about, more about me, there's links to the books and the dogs and everything at yeah. my personal website, which is sethandrews.com. Those are the two main hubs. Perfect. Awesome. And we wanted to remind everybody who's listening that we have a merch store. If you would like to go to our bios on TikTok, you will see the link to the merch store for the podcast. We have some cool stuff. And there is a fun new shirt that we have for <laughs> sale with, with Mel and Jesus in the same picture. <laughs> You'll just have to find out. <laughs> Also, if you're a simp, I mean a fan of our content and like what we do, please consider uh, supporting us. You can do so by going to anchor.fm slash burning Eden 666 and clicking on the support button. Also, thank and, you, Chico yeah. and Emily. Yes, thank you for supporting us. And here you can choose a monthly amount, whatever you want. If you want 99 cents, that's fine. We don't care. <laughs> Anything help us. And we are going to be on video very soon. Hopefully yes. in the next couple of weeks, yes. uh, we will be starting uh you know, YouTube streaming. Yes. As well as the audio podcast, of course. But of course. this way you can see our pretty faces. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and Mel. I <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> All right. Well we're gonna wrap it up. Well thank you, thank you, thank you, thank yes, you so freaking much. <laughs> that is the the one and only Seth Andrews, the yes. thinking eight well, this thinking atheist is the brand <laughs> one of the said he's not him, just himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right, thank you very much. Till next time. And that is what the Lord wants. Amen. 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 <laughs>